Let's get into the Word tonight. I spoke this morning about what do you do when following Jesus? What do you do when you follow Jesus and things get worse? What do you do when you follow Jesus and things get worse? Uh, hopefully you heard that sermon this morning, but I want you to think about that statement. Sometimes following Jesus causes things to get worse. Now, um, when you think about that statement, um, you know, it's not too pleasant. We, I think as humans, we like things to be comfortable. We like things to be convenient. We don't like to be uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, I think that we like things to get better. We don't want things to get worse. It's not even our nature. for We don't want things to get worse. As a matter of fact, we'll do everything that's possible to, um, to get away from things that make us uncomfortable. We don't like when things get worse. Uh, we are more prone to be comfortable and convenient than to be in situations where it makes us uncomfortable and situations that we find if it's getting worse, we, we like to give up and jump ship and get out and and reverse the course and do something different if it's getting worse. But I want to remind you tonight that sometimes following Jesus, things will get worse. But that's not the end of the story. Where God, where where you have put a period, God wants to put a comma. So uh, there's always a comma in the place of a period. And so um, somebody said this statement and I like it. Winners are just ex-losers who got mad. Say that with me. Winners are just ex-losers who got mad. Winners are ex-losers who got mad. Sometimes, you know, when things go worse in life, you got to choose to be a winner. You got to choose to go, you got to choose to continue to struggle in the face of adversary. You got to, if you're going to struggle, I've said this a few weeks ago, struggle as a soldier and don't struggle as a slave. Struggle towards victory. Winners are just ex-losers who got mad. You got to get mad sometimes in life. All right. And when things get worse in following Jesus, it's only temporary. It's not permanent. And sometimes when things get worse, it happens so that our faith is tested. A faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be believed. And so uh, sometimes faith has to be tested. So even in the worst times, that does not mean that, um, that it's not working. There's a scripture that goes with this, and I want to I want to read it to you. And it's the story of um, it's the story of uh, the woman with the issue of blood. For the sake of time, I don't want to read all of it to you, all of it for you because it's a big passage of scripture. So I think that you can, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Luke chapter eight, beginning with verse number forty, all the way through forty six. And so this is two stories sandwiched together. And it's the story of Jairus' daughter being healed and the woman with the issue of blood. So if you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse number 40 through verse 46, you will find these two stories together. Now, I believe that any time that you read the scriptures, everything is there uh, for our learning and for our instruction. And so the, <clears throat> Luke, when he wrote this narrative, wrote this narrative because there are things that through the Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know. And so these two stories that are sandwiched in Luke chapter 8 really do bring some powerful points out. And I want to bring out to you tonight, what do you do 
when serving Jesus, what do you do when things get worse when you serve Jesus? What do you do when things get worse when you serve Jesus? And sometimes that happens. And so what I want to do is look at Luke chapter 8 and look at these two stories. The story of Jairus' daughter being healed and the woman with the issue of blood being healed. Uh, now, it's interesting to me that if you look at these stories, um, it's really interesting to me. And if you're taking notes, I think this is, uh, I think this is uh, noteworthy uh, to, to consider that the story of the woman with the issue of blood and the story of the girl uh, being restored to life, which is Jairus's daughter, these two stories have great similarities. And I don't think it's an accident. I think that the author, when he wrote this narrative, was wanting you to see the similarities between these stories. Both stories, number one, they're both females, all right? Number two, Jesus refers to both of these people who were healed as daughter. Number three, the word 12 is mentioned. The Bible says that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old, while the woman with the issue of blood suffered this this sickness for 12 years. So the number 12 is used twice in regard to both of these women. And so, and they both were considered unclean. The the the, the girl, little girl that died, she died. And, and so according to Jewish law, a dead corpse was considered unclean. And number two, this woman who had an issue of blood, she's also considered unclean. And so this story, both of these stories have great similarities, great similarities. So let me review the similarities to you one more time. Number one, both of them are referred, both of them are female. Number two, they're both called daughtered by Jesus. Number three, both of them, um, the number 12 is used in both stories. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old, while the woman with the issue of blood suffered from the sickness for 12 years. And then they're both considered unclean. You know, the girl died, that's a dead corpse, is considered unclean in the Jewish Jewish tradition. And also the woman with the issue of blood is also considered unclean. And so when you look at these stories, you find great similarities, but you also find some things that I believe that the writer wants to point out to you that I think is very applicable to your life. And so there are several things. Um, and sometimes I think that as we read scripture, especially, especially in the Western world, in the Western world, Ever since the time of the Enlightenment, uh, we have a tendency to dismiss anything that's supernatural, and we want to rationalize everything logically. Now, I firmly believe that as people, God has given us a mind, and we're not supposed to check our minds out at the front door when we come to church. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So you're supposed to engage your mind, love the Lord with your mind, and I do not believe that you're supposed just to dismiss everything uh, and, and not rationally think about it. But I think that sometimes we can go to the other spectrum of things and we dismiss anything that's supernatural because we want to rationalize everything. And if it's not logical and if it doesn't make sense, then it's then it cannot happen. And, it, and it's, it's not of God. And that's not true because I really believe that the stories of the New Testament were written, number one, I believe, to verify who Jesus is. So when you read the miracles of Jesus, number one, it verified that Jesus is the Son of God. It verified his deity, that Jesus is who he said he was. And so number one, that's why there's miracles recorded about Jesus. It verifies who he is. It verifies his deity. Jesus is who he said he was. But number two, it was written for our instruction. 
It was written to prove that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that there is no amen at the end of the book of Acts. So the, the continuing power of the Holy Spirit is still at work in the world today, and I believe that it was written for our witness. It was written for us to behold the works of God, that the same God that did it then is the same God that can do it now. And I believe, number three, it was written to build your faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It, some people don't have the level of faith that some other people may have. Have you ever met people that have faith to believe God for finances? And some people can't even believe God for finances. You know why? Because they fed their faith the scriptures that deal with finances. They've been around environments. They've been around people to build their faith, to believe God for finances. There are other people that can believe God for sickness or believe God for healing of sickness. Some people have trouble believing that. You know why they can believe God for that? Because they read scripture. They rehearsed the scriptures. They fed their soul. They've been around people who believe that. They've been around environments that were conducive to pray for the sick. You see, and so you have to learn how to train your faith. Let me say that again. You number, you've got to learn how to train your faith. If you don't learn how to train your faith, your faith will go in the direction of your mouth. Your faith will go in the direction of your life. Your faith will go in the direction of your mouth, and it will go in the direction of your faith. So you've got to train your faith. Your faith is trainable. If you don't train your faith, your faith, the faith is neutral. It's given to you. But you've got to decide what to do with your faith. You've got to train your faith. And this, and I'm so excited, these two people in the story, they had trained the faith, didn't they? they? Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto the mountain, be thy removed, be cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith. Jesus gave you faith. You already have a measure of faith, but you've got to train your faith because your faith will go in the direction of your life. It will go in the direction of your mouth. It goes in the direction of your heart. And so these two people, the two stories of this miracle, they trained their faith. Jarius, you know what he did? His faith was action. Faith without works is dead. He went to Jesus. He pursued after Jesus for his daughter. And also, the woman with the issue of blood, what did she do? She trained her faith. She went in the way of her struggle. She went towards Jesus to touch the hem of his garment. And she said within him and herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. You see, both people here train their faith to believe God. And I'm asking you, Christ's point, are you training your faith to believe God? You've got to train your faith to believe God. It's You know, there's people that have faith for negative things. You ever met people? That's so optimistic, that, that's so pessimistic. I mean, they have faith to believe God. They have faith for the wrong things. You know, have you ever believed, have you ever met people that believe God for wrong things? Or, or they were so pessimistic that everything was so negative and they were sh for sure it was going to happen. Do you know that's a measure of faith? You know, why don't we train our faith to godly things? Why don't we train our faith to believe God for big things? Winners are just ex-losers who got mad. <laughs> Hallelujah. Winners are just ex-losers who got mad. You've got to learn how to be a winner in this thing. Now, um, I believe that this story, number one, it teaches us that you've got to train your faith because both of them, Jarius, the father, uh, the, the, the ruler of the synagogue, which is the father of uh, excuse me, Jarius is the ruler of the synagogue. Excuse me, Jarius is the ruler of the synagogue, and he has a daughter who is sick. And um, Jarius trained his faith. He went to where Jesus was. The woman with the issue of blood, she touched the hem of his garment, and she said continually, if I may, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. So they both had this trained faith. They trained their faith 
They train their faith to believe God in the midst of obstacles and interferences. Because the moment that you begin to believe God, there will be interference with your faith. Interference with your faith. Now, um, this this guy, this the ruler of the synagogue, the first story, the ruler of the synagogue, his name is Jarius. Now, this is what's interesting to me. I don't know why Luke decided to mention his name here, because usually in the narrative of Luke, there's not a lot of names mentioned. Actually, in the Gospels, there's a lot of nameless people. That There's stories there, like two beggars and um, the rich man, you know, general terms for people. But very rarely is there really names ascribed to these miracles. But in this story, his name is ascribed here. Uh, Jarius, the ruler of the synagogue, his daughter is sick. And now I've often wondered, what does it mean that he's the ruler of the synagogue? Now get this, this is interesting. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 8, verse number 40, So it was when Jesus returned to the multitude, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they all were waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter who was 12 years old, and she is dying. But as he went, the multitude thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all that she had on physicians, could in no wise get better. She came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately the flow of blood stopped, or the, the flow of blood stopped. And Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? When, when all denied it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitudes are thronging, thronging you and pressing against you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now get this, don't lose this. I'm going to explain to you the significance of the ruler of the synagogue, but I also want to let you see something else. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, and that she came trembling and falling down at his feet, she declared to him in his presence um, and all the people the reason why she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Now listen, this is the woman with the issue of blood. She gets healed. All right. Now this is this this these stories are sandwiched together. Jairus's daughter is sick. As a matter of fact, she's dying, and he comes to Jesus, begging Jesus to come to his house. In the meantime, there's a great multitude, and a woman who is sick presses through the crowd and touches his garment, and she gets healed. Now, obviously, that delayed, that delayed Jesus's arrival at Jairus's house. That miracle delayed the miracle of Jairus's daughter. All right. Have you ever felt like everybody else is getting miracles and getting blessed? And you're like, I'm afraid I'm going to be left out. Like, I'm afraid that my miracle is delayed because everybody else is getting their miracle. You ever felt that way before? And here, Jarius is begging Jesus, come to my house. And in the meantime, his daughter is dying. And in the meantime of her dying, somebody gets healed. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever had situations in your life that you feel, have you ever felt like you were dying inside? Have you ever felt like your life was falling apart? And then 
somebody else gets a blessing and somebody else gets healed and somebody else gets the miracle and yet you're dying on the inside. Have you ever felt that? That's a paradox, isn't it? I mean, here you're sitting here dying and somebody up, somebody down the same row as you, they're getting blessed, you know? Same church, hearing the same sermon in the same worship service, serving the same God, you're dying and somebody else is getting blessed. And that's that's the paradox of church. Here, Jairus is desperate for his daughter to be healed and he's asking Jesus, come to my house. And in the meantime, this other woman presses through the crowd and she gets healed. I want to remind you something tonight, church, is that there's enough miracles for you and your neighbor. There's enough miracles for that person and you. The treasure that Christ has is unlimited. He hasn't forgotten about you. There's more. There's not not only can he bless the per not only can he bless Sally, but he can bless Joe. Not only can he bless Brenda, but he can bless Betty. You know what I'm saying? He can bless, he, he has plenty to bless. So there's not a shortage of God's blessing. But this is what happens here. Verse number 49. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Now listen to it. While Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood, okay, and while Jesus was still talking, a ruler of the synagogue came and said to Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. That's my point. What happens when you serve Jesus and things get worse? The world wants to tell you, don't bother anymore. Don't trouble it anymore. Don't trouble the master anymore. Leave it alone. What happens when you serve Jesus and things get worse? Jarius was doing the right thing. He went to the right person. He said the right words. Jesus even agreed to come to his house. And yet, in the midst of this, his daughter dies. And everybody around him said, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Don't trouble that it's not worth it anymore. What happens when you serve Jesus and things get worse? I think you would agree and I would agree things got worse here. His daughter was sick, but now she's dead. It got worse. It got worse. Yeah, let me, folks, things should have got better. If you're going to the right place, if you're going to the right person, if you're saying the right words, things should have gotten better. But it didn't get better. It got worse. His daughter died. And everybody around him said, don't bother the teacher. Don't trouble the teacher. It's over. And there'll be people that will come to you in your life that will say, don't bother with it anymore. Don't go to church anymore. Don't give anymore. Don't sing anymore. Why are you going to church? It didn't work. Why are, you, why are you serving God? It's, it's gotten worse. It's getting worse. You, 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 you've been going to church for all these years. It's getting worse. They told you to tithe and give and look, look at you. It's getting worse. They said to raise your children in the house of God. It's getting worse. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why trouble it anymore? It's getting worse. And that is the lie of the enemy to tell you it's getting. That's the lie of the enemy. Let me tell you something. No matter how worse it gets. He has the last say. 
It will always, it will get worse before it gets better. But I promise you the promises, it will get better. Um, if you can stay faithful in the worst, you will experience, you will experience the breakthrough that you need. You will experience the breakthrough. So it always gets worse before it gets better. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered and said, do not be afraid. Only believe for she will be made well. What happens when you serve Jesus and things get worse? Jesus wants to tell you, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't get, don't, don't be afraid. Only believe. Do you hear the words of the master tonight? Are you hearing the words of the master? Don't be afraid. Only believe. What do you do? What do you do when things get worse when you follow Jesus? When people tell you it's dead, don't trouble, don't trouble any longer. Don't worry about it any longer. It's a waste. The words of the master is, do not be afraid. Only believe. Let me tell you something. What they failed to realize was that the daughter wasn't. The daughter, what you perceive as dead, is only sleeping. What you perceive as dead is really just dormant. The things that you perceive are dead are just dormant. Those things that you perceive that are dead are just sleeping. If you are in the will of God, those things that are dead are just sleeping. Those things that are that that are supposedly appear to be dead are just really dormant. Why are they dormant? Why are they sleeping? Because they're waiting for the right moment for God to resurrect them. And I promise you, Christ Point Church, that the dreams and the callings of God and the passion of God and the will of God and those things that are you, you are believing God for, they're not dead. They're only sleeping. It's only dormant. And God is waiting for the right time to resurrect it back to life. Amen. Now, the ruler of the synagogue, his name is Jarius. And the ruler of the synagogue was primarily a man who um, took care of the security of the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was a place of worship, a place of uh, scripture reading, and a place of worship locally for, 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 the, for the Jews. And so uh, the ruler of the synagogue was a place that did building maintenance. They took care of the building. They made sure they had designated people to read the scriptures. They kind of oversaw the building and the activities of the building and made sure that the building was functional. And here is a man, he was a lay member of the synagogue, a lay member of the, the, the house of worship. And he took, what's interesting to me, here's a man of God who took care of God's house. And when you take care of God's house, he'll take care of your house. My Lord, I'm about to shout up in my office. When you take care of God's house, he will take care of your house. Here's a man taking care of God's house. And when you're faithful to God's house, he'll be faithful to your house. And I'm glad that even when I'm not faithful, his grace still takes care of it. But you understand my point. This man took care of God's house and God was going to take care of his house. Now listen, there is this house. Okay, this body is a house. Then there is your house, your family that you live with. And then there's the house of worship, three different houses. There is 
God's house, okay, the place where we worship, the body of believers. There is your house, the people that you live with in your environment, and this house that you live in. Your spirit lives in this house. There are three different houses. And when you take care of God's house, he'll make sure you he takes care of the other two houses. Amen. What house have you designated for God to take care of? Amen. So um, it's interesting to me in this story that the little girl gets healed, right? And this is interesting. The Bible says when Jesus called, he told all the weepers to get out of the, all those who are mourning, verse number 42 or verse number 51. Now, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. So when Jesus went into the room to pray for the girl, he only permitted certain people to go in the room. Now, why is that? Because the Bible says in verse number uh, verse number uh, 52, now all who wept and mourned for her, but had and he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but only sleeping. They ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. But he put all of them outside and took the little girl by the hand and said, little girl, arise. My other point that I want to bring out is that the environment of your faith is just as important as your faith itself. The environment of your faith. Listen, your faith can incubate in an environment. What kind of environment are you giving your faith to grow? Are you giving your faith to grow in the midst of people who believe God with you? Here, Jesus said he, he, he cast all these weepers and mourners out. Do you know why? Because the Bible says they made fun of Jesus and said, the girl's dead. Jesus said, no, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Jesus had a higher level of faith than those who were in the room. And sometimes if you're going to operate in the supernatural, you're going to have to let your faith operate with people of like-mindedness. He said, called all the people out. He said, he said, Verse 54, he put everybody outside, took the little girl by the hand. He, he told all those pessimistic people, get out, get out of this room. And he took the mother and father, Peter, James, and John. I think that's what it says, Peter, James, and John. Wonder why Peter, James, and John? Huh? Well, Peter and James and John are the three that went to Mount Transfiguration. They were the ones that was in the glory. They understood the supernatural power of God. They were right with the master. And so he took him into that inner room and began to pray for her. And what did he say? He told her to get up. He told her to get up. And the Bible says she got up. Uh, verse number 54, he put them all aside, took her by the hand and called her and said, little girl, arise. Verse 55, then the spirit returned. She, she arose immediately. She, and he commanded that there be something to be given to eat to her. Now, sometimes when we, we read the Bible, we, we don't really read the Bible, I think. And I love this phrase where it said, and he commanded that she should be given something to eat. The miracle happened. Okay, she, The spirit came into her body. She arose immediately. And then Jesus was like, give her something to eat. Now, if I'm, you know, if I was dead and came alive, I mean, you would think there would be a great celebration and but you know maybe you know Jesus should have hugged her and 
you know, they should have got the praise band together and they should have got the beat going. They should have shouted and danced and rejoiced, but that's not what happened. Jesus is like, give this girl something to eat. Hmm. Give this girl something to eat. Jesus touched her, took her by the hand, lifted her up. The spirit returned to her. She rose immediately, and Jesus said, give her something to eat, because we play a part in God's plan. God can bring about a miracle. He can bring about the spirit, but there's something else that we've got. We've got we to gotta join in partnership with God. And the reason that I believe that this is here is because obviously she had been, I don't know how many hours she had been dead, so obviously she needed to be fed. But I think that the spiritual application is this, is that the spiritual application is that God's plan and God's desire is that each person receive a full restoration of life, full restoration of physical life. And he was concerned about her physical life as much as her spiritual life. Let me tell you something. God is concerned about your physical life and he's concerned about your spiritual life. And that is what I call wholeness. When God heals you spiritually and when God takes care of you physically. The spirit came in. She got healed physically. But he also understood that even though she was healed physically, that there was something else that must be done. She must be fed. In other words, there needed to be a full restoration of healing. And in order for full restoration of healing to take place, she needed to eat some food. I'm convinced that God has done some great things in some of our lives. But I'm also convinced that maybe some of us don't have full restoration in our life. And in order for us to walk in full restoration, maybe you need to partner with someone to help you to have healing in your life. Maybe you need to partner with someone to help you in this journey. Maybe you need to submit yourself under spiritual leadership. Maybe you need to submit yourself under spiritual authority. Maybe there's somebody that you need to hook up with that can pray with you and walk with you on this journey. Because even though God can do miracles in your life, there's something that you have to play. There's a full restoration that God wants to do in your life. And so the Bible says that this girl was healed. And the Bible says, verse 56, and her parents were astonished. And they charged them to tell no one what had happened. Amen. So what can we learn from this story? I feel like that I've gave you lots of information. but. Sometimes we have to train our faith in the direction of our life. Sometimes in the direction of our words, the direction of our life. Let me ask you two questions tonight. Will you only believe God in what circumstances allow or in what God declares possible? Let me ask you that question again. Will you only believe in what circumstances allow or in what God declares possible? Because I think that's the main idea of this story. I want you, that question to sink in. Will you only believe in what circumstances allow or what God declares possible? Now that sounds so simplistic, but I think it holds a lot of weight to it. I think there's a lot of truth to it. Will you only believe in what circumstances allow or in what God declares possible? Number two, will you surrender in despair or will you pursue in desperation?
Now, I want to say that one more time. Will you surrender in despair or will you pursue in desperation? I'm going to ask these two questions one more time. Number one, will you only believe in what circumstances allow or in what God declares possible? Number two, will you surrender in despair or will you pursue in desperation? These two stories tells us that you could have believed in the circumstances or you could have believed in what God declared possible. These both stories tell us that you could surrender in despair or you could pursue in desperation. Don't despin, don't don't surrender in despair, but pursue in destination or pursue in desperation. Amen. Number one, will you only believe in what circumstances allow or what God declares possible? Number two, will you surrender in despair or will you pursue in desperation? I believe that this story teaches us that we've got to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. It teaches us that faith knows no limits. Faith knows no limits, not even death. These two people, Jairus believed God, cried to Jesus. And even though they said, don't trouble the master any longer, he could have lost heart in his despair, but he didn't. The woman could have surrendered in despair, but she pursued in desperation. And so let's pursue to overcome, to recover all. Amen.